Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to worship the Lord together. What a joy. Uh, it's awesome. So one announcement, we do have a quarterly uh, church meeting following the service in two weeks' time, so 21 August. Be sure to stick around for that after tea and coffee. And yeah, it's going to be, it's a great opportunity uh, to talk about what's going on in the fellowship and things to look forward to. Uh, one thing I, I know that we're definitely working on is getting a crash going, so that should be exciting. Um, I've never researched nappy changing stations before, but I did this week, and there's one on the way, so um, hopefully we can uh, make sure that the needs of everyone are uh, met by God's grace. So uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for just your goodness to us all, for your faithfulness, for your provision, that you are just glorious in the way that you work, in the way that you draw us to yourself, in the way that Jesus has come, that he has met with us and ministered to us, and you have opened our eyes to see our need. And I pray that you would continue to keep changing us, to keep uh, causing us to turn to you in difficult times, and also to seek you when things seem very good. Thank you that we need you, Lord, and that you have made that known to us and you have also met our needs and answered prayers even before we asked them. We thank you that you are good and gracious, that you are righteous and holy, that you are just, and we can trust you. And I pray that our trust and our faith would grow as we take steps of obedience to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Genesis chapter 18 this morning. Genesis 18. Security cameras, they demonstrate how being able to see and record things can add some safety, some protection. Uh, it's like having a, I, I used to do a, it was a after school program in the States for a couple days a week. And some of the local boys are like, we've noticed that you don't have any cameras on the till. I was like, hmm? This is like an eight year old, an, a 10 year old. They're scoping the place out. They're saying, if we could get to that candy, no one would know. And the kid said that. He's like, you, you guys don't have any security cameras here. So that week, I went and got a security camera that was not connected to any wires, but I just put it there. And they're like, oh, right. So it worked. So it's like having that eye on the till, it was like, well, they'll know if we take something. So it was a little bit of a deterrent. Um, yeah, it's, in our house, we don't have a way to see out the front door. There's like no front window. And so we have some security cameras where uh, they're motion activated. And I can look and say, oh, that's the neighbor mowing his lawn. Or, oh, that's the parcel that's arrived. And we can go get it. So there's a degree of security and real-time notifications. Cars also, they have some have the ability to notice when another car is starting to veer into the lane and uh, give emergency braking or collision alerts or blind spot monitoring. And these are all very clever things. Um, but knowing that we are always seen by God, that provides comfort for us to know that he knows what's happening. He, he is able to protect us. He is able to provide for our needs. That he's aware of danger that we're, we don't see as imminent. And he also, not just, because sometimes you can see something, you don't have the power to do anything about it, but God does. He has the power to help us. He has the power to give wisdom and strength in that time of need. And he sees the intents and the motives of people's hearts that a camera cannot see. 
He can see inside a situation to reveal things by his grace. And on the other hand, there's that, there's that safety and security and comfort in knowing God sees us. And then there's that scary proposition that God sees us when we are in sin, that he is the righteous judge of all and he knows what's going on. He sees inside our hearts and our need to repent and turn to him in faith. So to bring us up to speed, God appeared to Abram when he was 99 years old, reaffirmed the covenant he made with him, changed his name to Abraham because he would be made the father of many nations. And he directed as a badge or a sign of the covenant he had given that Abraham and his house was to be circumcised. And it was just to show that they had entered into that covenant that God had made with them. And Abraham promised that the son, Isaac, that would be born would be through Sarah, his wife. And it says, Abraham did not waver in unbelief. That day he was circumcised, he and his house, trusting that God, what God promised he was able to perform. And we'll see that Abraham's faith in God resulted in fellowship with God and revelation from God. Picking up in verse one, Genesis 18. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on your servant on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. Abraham, he's still dwelling by the terebinth trees of Mamre. He's sitting in the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifts up his eyes and suddenly there's three men standing by him. It doesn't read like he saw them approaching from a distance and he's like, who are these guys? And do, do you see what's, who, do you recognize them? No, there was no lookout. He said, hey, by the way, three, three men are coming close. It just says he, behold, there they are standing by him. When we're caught off guard, it can be a really good indicator of our true character. Uh, when you're, you're not expecting something and the unexpected happens, when we're suddenly flustered or frustrated or angry, it can reveal a lack of godly character. But Abraham, he sees them. It says he ran from the tent to meet them and he bows himself to the ground. And he showed respect and honor by doing this, by humbling himself and says, don't pass by your servant. And he really, he, he is so humble in offering hospitality to them. He's like, let a little water be brought, a, a morsel of bread. Like, I'll just give you a little bit on your way, but don't just pass by. He didn't see their coming as an imposition or a burden or, oh, this is going to take all day. Because quite often, like extending hospitality would be a quite involved affair. But the visitors, including the Lord, they heard his offer and said, do as you have said. And as Abraham was invited to do as he said, we ought to do as Abraham did, right? Based on that generous and godly character of Abraham, I expect he would have done the same if it wasn't the Lord. If it had just been weary travelers that were coming across his path, he would have given them the same treatment. 
it's good for us to serve and be generous to others as if they are the Lord. Because we know that when we do things in obedience to the God, we do it as unto the Lord. Knowing that if we have done to what we have done to the least of these, Jesus says, you have done it as unto me. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, it exhorts believers, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. We're to extend hospitality to foreigners and strangers as if they're family, as if they're close friends out of love of God and them. The word forget, it says, do not forget to entertain strangers. That means to neglect or overlook. When we have a gathering of people that we know, we tend to go to the people we know, right? We single them out to, uh, to speak with them and to greet them and to have a chat. But I wonder how many times an angel in human form has visited a church and they were neglected or overlooked and they came and people didn't speak to them or other times where they came and they were just blessed. They were there one week. They were there one service and they were ministered to by God's people. Let's not be motivated by the chance a stranger could be an angel in disguise, but because of the love we have received from Christ, that we would love others regardless. God has given us such grace and extending hospitality. It's really an opportunity to give out of what God has given us rather than a desire to receive anything, any reward or a, or recognition. Picking up in verse six. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly make three, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Think of Abraham. He's enjoying some time in the shade. He's resting. But he sees these men. He leaps into action. He runs over to them. He bows before them. He hurries into the tent. He gets Sarah baking some bread. He runs to the herd. Like everything is so like hurry, hurry. He's running to the herd. He's selecting the, the choice uh, calf. He, he has his servant quickly butcher and prepare it. And he, he said, I'll just give you a little water and a morsel. But what is he doing? It's like butter and milk and beef. And he is just bread that's been freshly cooked. And he's not assuming a place of honor. Like he's sitting on his throne dictating, you do this, you do that. He, he's involved in this whole process. And he's standing by them as they're eating. He's not eating. They're eating. He's serving them. He's so attentive to their needs and it's just a, a lovely display of humility and attentiveness to the needs of others and, and how the whole household worked as one. Sarah's kneading and baking bread. And if you've ever kneaded, it's, it's hard work. It gets tiring. You're like, oh man, I can't believe people do this. <laughs> so yeah, it gets a bit tiring. And the young man on the barbecue and Abraham, he's serving them. They're all working together. 
There's no reluctance. There's no complaining. There's a readiness to do what needs to be done at that time in service to the Lord. And the Lord is literally there. And as they're eating, Abraham's servants, they ask him about Sarah, his wife. Where is Sarah, your wife? She's there in the tent listening, and I'm sure they knew where she was and that she was listening. Because the promise concerning her son that would be born was re-spoken again. I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, in the previous chapter... Uh, God had met with Abraham and he promised in one year, Sarah would have a son named Isaac. So this meeting occurred mere months after the previous promise of a year. Months have passed. Sarah was still not pregnant. Nothing had changed. Her barrenness remained. Yet God's promise had also not changed. And he's saying, I will certainly do this. She is going to have the son. So there's this delay and delays can often be a test of our faith. Will we trust God or doubt him? Will we believe what he says or will we lose heart? Verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. According to scripture, Abraham and Sarah were old, 99 and 90 to be precise. So I guess when I turn 90, you can call me old. Um, It says she had passed the age of childbearing. She had experienced menopause. She was not going to have a child by any natural means. So it seemed, and despite the promise of God that she had received previously, she acted as if he had not promised it and that it would not happen because it hadn't happened yet. She says, is that really going to happen? Come on. Notice in verse 13, Abraham addressed the Lord as Adonai. Now we see that he is Yahweh. So Lord, all caps. So one of the people that he's speaking to is the Lord. This is another time God revealed himself in human form. It's a theophany of Jesus Christ uh, before his incarnation, but typically the term Christophany is used to refer to his appearance after um, his coming and his resurrection. So the Lord asked Abraham a question. Why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? It reminds me a bit of when Jesus just knew the thoughts and the hearts and minds of people and he would ask them, they would, they would say something in their own head and it said, and Jesus answered them. So he answers their thoughts with words. He knew what they were thinking and he just calls them out on it. And he called her out. She's hiding, listening in. And he's saying, why did Sarah laugh when I said that? They were talking. He wasn't addressing her, but he knew she was listening and she was. Why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? He said, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the right time, I'm going to come and she will have a son. 
Now, this is a question that we know the correct answer to. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, no, nothing's too hard for the Lord. He can do everything. Nothing's hard for him. But this question exposes our unbelief. Because we know in our hearts or in our minds, we know in a theoretical sense that God is over all things. He has power to do anything he wants to do. Nothing is hard for him. He's created the whole world by the words of his mouth. He does miracles without number. He's created laws observable in nature that he can override at any time to do what he wants. Yet when it comes down to it, we can trust in ourselves or others or money or fertility treatments or anything else rather than God. We can start trusting something rather than him because we're not seeing it. We're not experiencing it. So we don't believe that it's ever going to happen, even though he says, I'm going to do this. When God said, you will have a son, did Sarah rejoice and start preparing a place for her son to live? Like, I don't know what they did in those days. In our days, we have what was called a nursery, right? You would get the cot and you would get some decorations on the walls. You get some toys and some clothing. You'd have it all ready for the baby when he or she arrived. She didn't do that. She laughed. Hmm. She didn't make a sound. But inside, she's like, yeah, right. Unbelief caused her to scoff at the idea of having a baby when it was God's answer to her prayer with, yes, you will have a child. And she's still laughing. And he's already promised, and now he's come again, and he's telling her again. It's like after trying so long for a baby, she had given up despite God's promise, despite God being there like God is talking to her and saying, oh no, it's certainly going to happen. Friends, when we look at Sarah's response, we can be looking at ourselves. And the Lord pointed it out. He said, you laughed. She's like, no, I didn't. It says, out of fear. She was afraid and denied it. But God knew her heart and he said, no, you did laugh. And even if the Lord said this with a twinkle in his eye, which I have no doubt that he did, it was cause for her to reflect and to repent as his words pierced her heart later. And she's like, you know what? Yeah, I, I was laughing inside because I didn't believe what he was saying. And let's not reserve unbelief for atheists or agnostics, the unbelieving. After Jesus rose from the dead, he did not rebuke the multitudes. He came to his disciples and he rebuked them for their hardness of heart. When other Christians had come and said, the Lord is risen, we have seen him. Oh, we've, we've seen him too. And they didn't believe. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. So awesome to know that God sees everything and also has the power to do everything. Hebrews 3, verse 12. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Notice there it says, beware brethren, lest there be in you any heart, unbelief, departing from the living God, that you would stop trusting God and start leaning on your own understanding. 
Start believing your, in yourself rather than him. And God was not being mean to point out Sarah's internal laughing. It was an exhortation to believe what God had said. What had God said? Do you believe that he's going to do it? And it's possible, like the children of Israel, we can fall short of the inheritance God has for us because of unbelief. We have refused to enter into the gifts that he has for you to uh, be fruitful as he desires you to be because of unbelief. We, we believe, we know that God can save and will save souls. He will change minds and hearts, that he can restore marriages, that he causes prodigals to come back to him. God is able to do this. We cannot, but God can and believe that he will. God has hope and contentment and strength that sometimes we, do, we fall short of entering into because we don't believe what he has said. Nothing is too hard for the Lord and he begins to transform our perspective. And when we confess that this is the case, yes, that is in me, that laughing, that scoffing at God, and I'm gonna choose to believe him by his grace, God help me believe you. Take that step of faith to trust him, to walk in obedience before him. Verse 16 of Genesis 18. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. On the way, excuse me. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. That they keep the way of the Lord. To do righteousness and judgment, judge, justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So there's this time of feasting and refreshment with Abraham. The three men rose. They looked towards Sodom. Now Abraham had family living in Sodom, his nephew Lot and his household. With God's help, uh, Abraham had saved Lot and the people of Sodom from Kedileomer and the kings of the north. He had delivered all their goods and they had come back safely. And as they rise from eating and they begin to walk towards their destination, it's kind of like when we will, if someone comes to your house, you see them to the door. It's a polite thing to do. And he began to accompany them on their journey. And as they're walking together, the Lord starts just to speak rhetorically. And he says, should I hide it from Abraham? What I plan to do? The idea is no, I'm going to tell him what I'm planning to do. I'm going to tell him why I'm here as I'm passing by. He, he had reminded them of a promise, but he had come to address what was happening in Sodom and the surrounds. And he said, I know that Abraham is going to be blessed and all the nations will be blessed through him. And that he will command his children to observe my words, that he'll keep my ways and judgments. He'll walk in righteousness. And we can understand this in a practical sense that if you're faithful in the little things, God can entrust more to you. He's willing to, he wants to reveal so much to us, but he wants to speak to people who will listen to him and obey him. And when we are faithful to listen and obey, like when he said, Hey, be circumcised in your household. And they did that day. It's like, I can entrust this guy with even more information because I know him. And that's a point that God makes. I know him. See, God knows all things. He knows who are his. He knows who are righteousness, righteous by faith in him. 
and God's relationship with Abraham, it demonstrates how relationship and revelation go together. He knows Abraham, and so he shares with Abraham. He didn't earn the right to hear God's plans. It was all of grace. It was by God's grace that he was known, that God had revealed himself to him, that he continued to speak to him. I love in the parables how Jesus, he speaks to the multitudes, and in telling this common story, there's spiritual truth that we would be concealed from the unbelieving heart and at the same time reveal spiritual truth to the believing heart. So he's not casting pearls before swine. He is giving the truth and his wisdom to those who will receive it, to those who want it. Like if you want wisdom from God with an intent to do it, he will reveal it to you. He will show you as he reveals himself to you. As, he, as you walk with, it's like Abraham's literally walking with the Lord. And as they're walking, the Lord begins to speak to him. He begins to reveal things to him. He says, I'm not going to hide from Abraham what I'm doing. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you're like, what is God doing? I don't really know at all what's, what God is doing here. But we can know that God is always doing something and he's glad to speak to those who believe and rely upon him. I mean, God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. He doesn't give us full disclosure. However, um, he gives us plenty to pray about, plenty to seek him about. And we see what that is here in verse 20. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the, then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. The reason why the Lord had come was to go to Sodom and Gomorrah to, it was in response to the outcry that had come up to him. The cries of the abused, the victimized, the oppressed due to sin, it had come up to God's throne. And so he's personally looking into it. It reminds me of when the Australian prime minister will go to a flood or fire ravaged region to speak to the people, to be on the ground and see how to deliver aid, to see what the people actually need. Now God perfectly well knew the sin that was in the place and the cry that had come up. It wasn't like, all right, I've heard about it secondhand and I'm just checking it out. But he was personally involved in the situation. He did not need to go there, but he was gracious to come, to walk amongst them, to reveal his plans to Abraham personally and to respond to the cries of the people with his presence. He wasn't going to stay far away from those who were suffering. He was going to go and walk among them. He was going to go speak um, to Abraham and to see for himself what was transpiring. 
So as the other two men walk away, Abraham, it says, stood still before the Lord. And the wording throughout this whole passage is very, uh, it's very specific. And it's really insightful into the relationship that we can have with God. To stand still. To seek him and draw near to him. Right? It says, and then he came near. It's a beautiful picture. Now, Genesis 19, 1 in the next chapter, which we'll deal with next week, it begins with, now the two angels came to Sodom. So it, it shows us that these two people that were with the Lord were angels. They met Lot in the gate. So upon hearing that the Lord was investigating the outcry that had come up from Sodom, Abraham didn't say, oh, good luck with that. You know, have, have a great trip. No, he, he stopped and he started speaking with them. He stood still. And in verse 23, Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? So there's this revelation from God. It stops Abraham in his tracks. He draws near to the Lord and he begins to ask him questions. To intercede on behalf of the righteous in the city. Now, while it's true that his nephew Lot and his family dwelt in Sodom, he wasn't just looking for them to get out of trouble. He came to intercede on behalf of the righteous. And he didn't allow partiality to cloud his judgment in this matter. It seems that he's aware of the wickedness that was happening in Sodom. And he doesn't question um, if judgment of the wicked is warranted, right? That's not the point that he's making. Like, oh, that, shouldn't you give him a second chance or anything? He's like, okay, yeah. The, those kind of that heart, the soul that sins will surely die. There is judgment coming to the wicked. But he says, you sh God, you're the judge of all the earth. You will not make the righteous as the wicked. You don't just put them in the same uh, category. You keep them distinct from one another. And this principle, we see it throughout scripture, where God does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Remember when God destroyed the earth with the flood. He, he had Noah built the ark, where he, righteous Noah, and his family were preserved. The animals were preserved. While the wicked who refused to enter, um, they were destroyed. Uh, when speaking of future judgment, Jesus said, The Lord distinguishes the right between the righteous and the wicked as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. Like he knows. There are some breeds of sheep and goats that to me look pretty similar, but to a shepherd, it's very clear. I think about a little child that can tell the difference between a triangle and a circle. You know, this little toy that you put the little plastic shape in. They can tell the difference before they can speak a full sentence. So, of course, God knows uh, the righteous between the wicked. Who trusts in him and who does not. I like what McGee said. He said, whatever God does is right. And if you don't think he is right, the trouble is not with God. But the trouble is with you and your thinking. I like that kind of straight talk that uh, hits me. It didn't seem right to Abraham. God would lump them together and just judge them all. Suppose there were 50 righteous there. Would God still destroy the whole city? And then, so he says, would you slay them together? God said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now, this is a remarkable turn because this is not exactly what Abraham was asking about. He hadn't asked God to spare the wicked, but God said he would for the sake of 50 righteous. You see that shift there? He says, I won't even destroy the wicked for the sake of 50 righteous. 
Verse 27, then Abraham answered and said, indeed now I am, I who am but dust and ashes, I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He has this humble persistence, Abraham, doesn't he? He's like, well, hold on. He, he won't destroy it for the sake of 50. What about 45, 40, 30? He's just whittling it down. He says, I'm just dust and ashes. I have nothing to offer you. I really, I'm not even worthy to be speaking to you right now. But, but hear me out, please. Negotiations and bartering, that was commonplace in ancient cultures and to this day. And he says, he spoke to him yet again and yet again. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry. I wonder why Abraham thought that God would be angry. The Lord would be angry if he continued to ask him questions. If he'd be angry with his persistence. Maybe we can imagine that God would be annoyed or angry or irritated if we continue to ask him or intercede on behalf of others. Maybe we imagine God's annoyed or impatient because we get annoyed and impatient when people keep pestering us. We feel pestered and like we're pestering God. I can't keep. God is happy, pleased to converse with someone who desires good for others. We can feel like we're wasting someone's time, but God has all the time. He's outside of time, right? All the time we have is a gift from God and God's pleased when we use the time he's given us to invest it in seeking him and desiring his will to draw near to him, to seek him in prayer for others. So in this exchange, we see that God's not frustrated. He's not irritated or angered by loving intercession for others. It's really our time we waste by unbelief. But he believes and he's speaking with the Lord. He draws near to him. And Abraham, there's a shift in him too because he doesn't just want righteous Lot saved, but he wants to save the whole city. He wants to save all of them. He wants the whole city spared from God's wrath. And this love and care for people who were under judgment that there was a cry from God that he was responding to and he still desired their salvation. That, that heart of love, that's of God. Genesis eighteen thirty one, And he said, indeed now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak, but once more, suppose 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Don't you love Abraham? He keeps asking, suppose 20, what about 10? Would you destroy it for the sake of 10? And God consents every time to meet every request. He doesn't do, you know, like when you're, you, you have a price and you want to go and buy and sell and, and that you kind of meet in the middle. You're like, I'll give you a hundred for that. They're like 50. And you know, you're going to end around 75, somewhere there. Well, God does not meet him in the middle. God is willing to give him every request 
all the way to when he stops asking. 10, I won't destroy it for the sake of 10. He appealed, notice Abraham's appeal. He appealed to God's righteousness, his justice. It was not human pity. He, he appealed to his justice, says, you are just the God of all the earth. You will do right. You will not lump the righteous in with the wicked. Far be it from you to do such a thing. God shows in his righteousness, in his justice, his desire to save life rather than destroy it. And as we continue next week, we will see that God went beyond the request that Abraham made. Abraham walked away thinking, I'm thinking he's pretty like, all right, between Lot and his household, there's 10 righteous. He's feeling like, all right, we're, it'll be okay. Well, it wasn't okay. God brought judgment upon the city, but before he did, what did he do? He had the angels take Lot by the hand and lead him and his family out to safety before judgment came. He hadn't prayed for that, but God did it because God saves the righteous. Lot, all the unbelieving people of Sodom, all the surrounding cities, they were unknowingly blessed by believing Abraham who drew near to the Lord to pray, to seek him and to intercede for them. And people in this world have no idea of the blessing and the protection of God and the grace of God that has been poured out on them by the church and those who are righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. How many families, how many businesses, how many households and cities have been blessed because of God's people? I mean, we, we hardly know how much our lives have been blessed and ministered to because someone was praying for us. Because someone was praying for you. I mean, we all have access to the throne room of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need and how privileged we are to have that opportunity. I love too that it said the Lord went his way as soon as he finished speaking with Abraham, not to him. With suggests an exchange. They were having a conversation. There was an exchange of ideas where he was asking God a question and God responded to him. And this is the relationship we can have with God to seek him. And then as we read his word, he speaks to us, he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. People see prayer sometimes as superstitious or pointless or useless we, we are such are ignorant of the debt that they owe to the Lord who hears prayers and answers them by his grace. The scriptures say the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 7 starting in verse 23 because we read here that Jesus is the greatest intercessor of them all. Right, Abraham, I, I would love to know I mean, Lot would have been blessed to know, you know, I, the Lord came and I spoke with him. And, and I have, we have come to an agreement that if there's 10 righteous in the city, the whole city will be spared. Wow, that's great. I, I would like to have someone who is, has that sort of connection with God where he hears them, right? But Jesus intercedes for you if you're in Christ. It says in Hebrews 7, 23 through 28, 
Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. The book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, to the Jewish people, and they knew that God had instituted the law of Moses that had a provision where people would bring a sacrifice and have the priest intercede for them with God. So they would bring their sacrifice to a sanctified priest who would offer it before the Lord for atonement. Since Jesus died on Calvary as a sacrifice once for all to atone for our sins, we come to God through Jesus Christ who lives to make intercession for us. If Lot would have been encouraged to know that he was interceded for by Abraham, how much more confident and joyful can we be that Jesus Christ, the righteous intercedes for us. In fact, he lives to make intercession for us, not just for our salvation, but day by day. As we cry out to him, that's what mobilized God in the first place, right? He hears the cries that come up to him and he responds. Well, when we cry out to God, he hears us and he responds. We can be joyful. We can be confident in Christ who seeks the father who provides salvation, protection, provision, and help. And even when words fail us, we don't have this conversation quite like Abraham did. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to God's will. As it says in Romans 8, 26, it says, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. So the things that you cannot say, the things that you're not sure how to pray, it's interceded on through the spirit for you. So what, what a wonder that we have this privilege and this access by God's grace into his presence, knowing that God wants to save people from hell. He wants to save them from the wrath to come and from sin. He wants people to be saved to glorify him forever. Abraham spoke on behalf of the righteous Christ intercedes on behalf of those who have been made righteous by faith in him. I mean, how awesome that we have such an advocate, someone to come near that we can draw near to who causes us to stand. And Jesus said, if we hear his words and do them, he likens us to a house on a foundation that stands strong in the storm. He helps us stand that privilege of relationship with God Revelation from God, salvation from God is ours through faith in Christ alone. Since Jesus has come to us, let us draw near to him. Let us pray without ceasing. As it says in James 
4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So let's, let's repent of our unbelief, the laughter in our heart at God's promise that we would deny if we were confronted even by him and having been washed, having been cleansed from our sin, let's, let's serve him. Let's continue to seek him, draw near to him. He loves us and he loves others too. How good it is to see this example. And I was really blessed by Abraham's persistence. And may that mark our prayers as well. According to God's righteousness and justice. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you, you have given us faith. And you teach us how to walk by faith. How to pray. And that Jesus himself intercedes for us. And the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't even have the words to say. And thank you, Lord, that you are not burdened by our prayers or our cares, for you are able to carry them without trouble, that nothing is too hard for the Lord. And I pray in us, Lord, you would put this faith that moves mountains, mountains of unbelief, mountains of unforgiveness, mountains of bitterness and resentment, that you can do a work in us and also do a work through us. I thank you for the way that you used Abraham and that you chose to reveal yourself to him and also how you've revealed yourself to us through Jesus Christ and made that new and living way for us to approach God, to know God, to have a relationship with the living God and to walk in your ways, to love one another as you love us and to pray, to pray without ceasing and to rejoice with thanksgiving, knowing we are heard by you that what you have promised, you are surely able to perform. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would quicken us, Lord, to trust you, to believe you, that you are God and there is no other, that you are glorious and good and you are our hope, you are our life. And I pray that we would not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you and you will direct our paths. Thank you, Lord, again for your word and for this time with my brothers and sisters and pray that you minister your truth through our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.